inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as though just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The word of God. through this year as a church family, and we have been reading in Luke, so I'll be preaching from Luke this morning. Luke, he wrote a lot of the Bible. Did you know that? He actually wrote um, more than any New Testament writer. Is that kind of surprising? Yeah, surprising. Um, people that do word studies uh, say that in the combination of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which we'll be reading together, there's about 37,933 words, or 27% of the New Testament. So Luke wrote uh, over a fourth of the New Testament, and uh, Paul, you know, most people think he wrote the most. Uh, he wrote 32,407 words, or 23% of the New Testament for people that like that kind of thing, neat rounded numbers. Who is Luke? In Colossians, Paul does write about him. He was a co-laborer, a fellow worker alongside Paul. We see him, he's one of the eyewitnesses, uh, seeing the things that are done through the apostle Paul. In Colossians 4.14, Paul calls him Luke the beloved physician. Colossians 4.23 calls him a fellow worker along with some others. And then one of the last books that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, uh, in the end of 2 Timothy, he mentions a person named Demas who was mentioned before as a fellow worker has now deserted him for the love of this world. But Luke alone with me, so you can see why Luke was the beloved physician. He was endured to the end, and he spent a lot of time writing uh, the gospel and forming this account, and that's what we had today, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative. So we sang today a beautiful encapsulated story, let me tell you, about my Jesus, and that's what Luke is going to do to a person, an individual named Theophilus. A lot of us like Luke. My dad loved Luke. Uh, Luke was his favorite book. We always read from Luke. If you wanted to read from the gospel, you read from the gospel of Luke because Luke was writing with a Western mindset. Most of us don't get the Eastern mindset where we're at. Uh, the Eastern mindset, you know, Matthew, Mark, and John, they can put things in different orders and kind of tell the story like they want and kind of do a, you know, what they're doing in movies today. You know, things are out of order. You know, they start in the middle and they flash back. That's been done all along. That's kind of an Eastern mindset. They can say things 
however, you know, they read from right to left, right? We just read up and down. You know, we read from left to right. We're Western. Goes this way and that way, and that's the only way it can be done. And Luke's that way to Theophilus. He's like, I will write you, and I will write you a narrative. I will tell you the story of Jesus, and I will do it in an orderly way, an orderly account. This is how it happened, and this is the order that it counts. And I have researched it diligently and found out why, so that you can be certain of what you've been taught. And so he writes, and when he's writing his gospel, and he lists these, you know, uh, testimonies, the eyewitnesses, is what he says here. He's compiling a narrative, pompous among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. He's going around. He's interviewing these people. What'd you see? I heard the story. Mark wrote it like this. Matthew, you know, there's some, you know, and, but I'm talking with you. How did, what, what happened? When? When exactly? You know, and he's getting it down. He wants it right. And that's the way the Greeks were. They wanted it that way. And Luke's doing that. He's getting the eye ministers, the people who are ministering the word. He's going and speaking and talking with them. And then all through Acts, he's right there with uh, the apostle and in, in the stories and uh, recording and, and writing and remembering from the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also. Others have done it. Uh, but having followed all things closely, I followed all things closely. For some time, I'm going to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may be certain concerning the things that you have been taught. This is Luke. He is a physician. He is a fellow worker with Paul in his ministry. He sticks with Paul to the very end, and he is understandably the beloved. Luke, the beloved physician. So I titled this, in looking at Luke, which we, uh, that's the breakdown of Luke 1, 1 through 4 that we read, but I'll be kind of skimming through and telling a little bit about the story of Jesus from Luke and from his vantage point, and I'll be looking specifically at uh, a word called the Anoim. I'll probably mispronounce Hebrew word by this guy up here, but that's the best I can do. Anoim. It means poor ones. Ones that didn't have things seemingly going their way, but they remained faithful to God in many times and in all times, whether in this life or in the next, God comes through for them. And Luke begins to tell this story of these marginalized people that are outcasts, prostitutes, tax, leather, ta tax collectors, people hated, Samaritans, and he says those are the ones that by all eyewitness accounts are mostly who God is using. This is the story. This is the narrative. This is the orderly account from Luke. And he starts about these poor, marginalized ones, these needy ones, marginalized ones, these anoim. So I titled it Physician to the Poor, Savior to the Sinner, Doctor to the Dead. First one is Physician to the Poor. In Luke 4, verses 16 through 21, I jump right in there because it's Jesus starting his ministry, 
and he gets up, and it's the best sermon ever given. So if you want to read the best sermon ever given, look at Luke 4 and read what Jesus does. He comes to Nazareth. Nazareth. That's where, if you remember, he's going to be called Jesus of Nazareth from here on out. This is where he grew up. Poor town. We know it's not a great place to grow up. But it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day to go to church. You go to church every Sunday. It's, the, it's, it's what Jesus did. He went as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. You guys following the story? Here Jesus, he's church on the Sabbath day. We're going to read today. Here's the scroll of Isaiah. He can read anywhere he wants in Isaiah. He goes to that scroll. He knows exactly what he's going to read. And he gets up and reads this. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor to the Anawim, to the outcast, to the marginalized, to these ones. This is why the Spirit of God has anointed me. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, they're outcasts. Recovery of sight to the blind, they're left out of the synagogue, they can't even come in. To set liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed demonically, oppressed in every way. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. That was his sermon. The reading of the word of God. And it says, all the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Yes, this poor carpenter, the son of poor parents in a poor town, is claiming to have fulfilled the prophecy that Isaiah wrote about 700 years ago that the Spirit of the Lord is anointing him to preach good news to the poor. That's who Luke's saying he's going to. And that's who Jesus goes to. He's from Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And in the sixth month, Luke starts out with this story about Elizabeth. She's an Anawim. She's outcast. They're faithful, though. They're staying faithful. They're both from priestly families. They should have it all going for them. They should be blessed of God, serve God. Their families serve God. Parents serve God. Everybody serves God. And they can't even have children. And that was of probably a lot greater curse than it is to this, this day. But in that society, it was everything. Woman that couldn't have their children was outcast, nothing. Something was horribly wrong, horribly cursed of God. She says when uh, she is pregnant with John the Baptist, she says, Lord, you saw me and you have removed the reproach of my people from me. The reproach, the shame, you've removed it from me. Oh, 
old, way beyond time they could have children. You know, past that menopause time. Past it. Can't have children. God does a miracle in this Anoim and this poor woman. That's where, you know, it's like it's going to choose. And, and, and look at them. They're, they've remained faithful, and God comes through when he, no one else can come through, and nothing else can happen, and there is no other help. God is our help, and he comes through, and he blesses. And we have Mary. We have her songs, and she submits to the will of the Lord. Mary's Magnificat, her song. What is she saying? She says, Lord, you've been mindful of the humble state. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's like, I'm your servant, and you've been mindful of me, God. You've remembered me. You've remembered the poor. You've remembered. You've remembered me. You've looked to me. You've seen me. She says that God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who were proud. He's brought down rulers. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry. He's sent the rich away. She's saying, it's about time. The poor got your blessing, God. You remembered my humble state, the humble state. You're coming to this poor couple in this poor nowhere town, and you're bringing your blessing. And you brought it to Elizabeth. And she's a barren woman in her old age. She's having a baby. You're doing these miracles now amongst the poor. Mary's song comes from Hannah's prayer. If you don't know that, in 1 Samuel 2, 8, her her song is a lot like Hannah's prayer. If you remember Hannah, Hannah had Samuel, and she was barren too. And she said this, you know, and Mary kind of takes it because she studied the word of God. And her song's coming from where, yeah, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's coming, but it's coming from her knowing God's word. You don't think she knows Hannah's song? The barren woman's song? She's singing that same song just kind of putting her own spin on it, you know, and it's, it's beautiful. Hannah's prayer says the same thing. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with, free, with princes, and he has led them has, and has them inherit a throne of honor. That's who he takes. Can you believe it? That's who God is. He's a physician to the poor. I like that. I like proclaimer to the poor, preacher to the poor. I came to proclaim the good news to the poor. But I just like physician to the poor because it's such a healing thing that Jesus is doing to these people who have placed their hope in him and haven't given up. And they haven't had the things of this world and they haven't had the comforts of this world. They haven't had the pleasures of this world. They haven't had the blessings of material possessions in this world. But they have everything in the richness of their faith and they hold on to it and they don't give up. And God comes through for them and he blesses them. He blesses the Zacharias and the Elizabeths and the Marys and the Josephs in nowhere little towns. And where is Jesus born into in this poverty, in this Nazareth? He's born into a place where there's no room for him. They return to the home of their heritage, to the great Bethlehem near Jerusalem, and there's no room for Jesus. No, no welcome. And he's born, and he's laid in a feeding trough. I like the word manger. That sounds a lot prettier to me. But an animal feeding trough. In with the animals. That's where, well, how much provision 
you know, in God's blessing, Mary and Joseph, he's like, oh, it's going to be easy, right? You know, because now this is your will and I've submitted to it. No, poverty with me, be with me, be with the needy, be with the weak, be with the Anoim, the poor little ones. And Jesus is right there being laid in straw, wrapped in strips of cloth, and poor shepherd, outcast, or come that wasn't a high job or the lowliest of job by this time. They're the ones that get the announcement. They're the ones that come. He's going to the Anoim, and Luke is telling that story. Let me tell you a little bit about my Jesus. Luke is the one that's the author, and he's telling that story in this narrative. And he says, this is a poor firstborn. When they go to offer their sacrifice in Luke 2, 24, uh, in keeping with the law of the Lord, you know what they offer? Luke brings out a pair of turtle doves. You know why? Because they're poor. That's what that means. In Leviticus, if you couldn't offer a lamb, you were allowed, if you were poor, to offer two turtle doves. You could offer a lamb and a turtle dove or a lamb and a pigeon, one or the other. Or if you were just poor and you couldn't offer the lamb, you offered two pigeons or two turtle doves. That's what the parents offer in the temple. And believe me, if they could have, they would have offered a lamb for the blessing of this son and their life, this firstborn son and their life. But they did not have the resources. They're part of the poor little ones. But they're remaining faithful and they're doing everything that the law told them to do. And it said, if you're poor and you can't offer a lamb, offer another turtle dove. And they do. That's what Luke's pointing to here. He comes from poverty. A pair of turtle doves. The poverty revealed of Joseph and Mary. Are they rich? They're rich in their faith. They're rich in their faithfulness to God. And they have God and they have everything. And they remain faithful. And Jesus comes. And he's what we read out of Luke 4. He gets up and he says, I've come to proclaim come to proclaim just like I've been raised up and brought up in the midst of them people that are rich in their faith and rich towards God with very little and I've come to preach good news to you and that rang that rang a bell for some people it rang a bell in a lot of people's hearts and it definitely did in Nazareth and as he went out that's who gathered to him a rebel crowd of poor outcast marginalized people Forty at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, laying hands on each one. He healed them. Moreover, the, moreover, the demons came out of many people. The oppressed were set free. Those who were sick and lame, blind, are getting healed of all kinds of diseases. Jesus went to the poor. He went to the marginalized. He went to the outcast of society, and those were the ones that followed him with hungry hearts. This is our zeal. It is for God and it is for his glory. No matter what place or estate God has placed us in, our zeal is for God and his glory with everything that he's given us. And if it's poverty and poor, we give him all that we have in our faith. If it's wealth, we give him all of that. We are stewards of everything that he's given us. And so he is that physician to the poor. He's also the savior to the sinner. In Luke 5, 31 through 32, Luke uh, says this. Uh, Jesus answered them. 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the story around that is that Luke had just told the story of Jesus going and calling Levi. Levi was a tax collector. We call him Matthew. And he called him, and what Levi does when Jesus calls him, because he's going to the outcast, the hated, and there was no more hated betrayed to the country than the tax collectors. And they got rich doing it most of the time. It was a well-paying job because nobody wanted it. But Levi had taken it, and Jesus went to him and right up to that tax booth and said, come and follow me. And he straightway says, yeah. And gets up and leaves his job and everything and starts following Jesus. And you know he invites to a big party right after that? All his buddies. You know who all his buddies are? Tell anyone that be his buddies? Other tax collectors. There is nobody else that would hang out with him. So there's a big party. And you know who comes? Jesus comes. And you know what everyone else does? in on that asking the disciples go meet with them go and just go and visit them and eating with them in that culture it meant acceptance it meant social acceptance it meant everything why is your master eating with them they're disgusting they grumbled and that's where we have this issue come up because Jesus says I have not come for the for the for the righteous, but for the call center sinners to repentance. Jesus calls sinners to repentance, and when Levi got up and followed him, he left everything and he repented of all that he did in action, and he followed Jesus. Luke fifteen says, "Now all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near him." That's what they're called: tax collectors and sinners, one and the same. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This man received sinners and eats with them. And the story after that goes like this. I want to talk to you all, Jesus says. And he tells them the parable of this man who had 99 sheep, but one was missing. And he went out to seek to save that one lost sheep. Then he tells a woman uh, who had 10 coins. Got a little cookie jar, doesn't she? Ten, ten coins, but somehow one gets lost. You know what she does? She tears that house apart and sweeps and cleans every nook and cranny until she finds that lost coin. And when she does, she gets all her friends and says, I found that lost coin I was telling you about. Woo, I got my ten back. And then Jesus tells another story about two lost sons. Luke 16, a servant squanders his master's wealth. And in Luke 17, uh, we have the parable of the rich man. He doesn't even have a name. And Lazarus, this is another Lazarus. I can never preach about Lazarus. But a poor man who's so poor that there's no social programs, no help then. He just went to the whoever had some wealth in town. This was the wealthiest person in town because, you know, he has a, big wall around his estate and 
they let him at the gate. You know what? He has a gate. He has a wall around the estate. You know what else he has? Rich man has a purple clothing. Purple clothing, you can only make it in two ways, and it would cost a fortune to make it. To show off your wealth, he wore purple clothes. Very hard, very expensive to make. And then you know what else he had? He had dogs. You know what dogs do? They guard your property around there. Nobody, rich people had dogs, and they had no dog food. So you know what they ate? They ate scraps that fell from the master's table. And you know what Lazarus got laying there at his gate? No scraps. He didn't even get dog food. You know what he got? He got the dogs licking his sores. That's what Lazarus got in this life. And Jesus says, those Anna Ween, when they die, and when the angels carry them away, you know what he's got? He's got Abraham's bosom, and he's got everything. And you know what that rich man got? He's got nothing in my parable, and he don't even have a name. He's just got a rich man. And you know what he does in that place? He doesn't change that rich man. He's still wanting to order Lazarus around. He's a nobody. He hadn't even repented then. There is no repentance in this guy's heart, even in Sheol. Tell him. Tell him, Abraham. Come and tell him to dip his finger and bring it to me. Tell him. Tell him. Still trying to order people around. Still trying to treat them like dirt. Trying, still trying to say, you know. And then he's like, okay, well, you don't want to do that. Well, I'll tell you what to tell good Lazarus go do. You tell him to go back and warn my four or five brothers because this is a horrible place, and I don't want them to come here. They won't believe, Abraham says, anyway. Even if someone's raised from the dead, yeah, they will. If you raised from the dead, Lazarus comes back, and they know he's dead, and he comes back. They'll believe him. Send him back. Still order him around. Says that Moses, let them believe him. You see, if you won't believe you won't believe. And that's exactly what happened to the Pharisees and the scribes when he raised the dead. They still didn't believe. See, because he went right next to Jerusalem where they all were, to the big temple, not in Nazareth, but on his way. And right before he went to the cross, he went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And everybody knew Lazarus, man. And everybody in the big town knew him. And you know what? Some of them rejoiced when he raised Lazarus from the dead for four days stinking. And you know what Jesus says? He orders in his power and authority. Come out, Lazarus. And he comes out. They remove death clothes. And you know what some people do? Raising the dead. Just like the rich man wanted Lazarus to go to. They went to Jerusalem and said, man, Jesus did this. Now how are we going to kill him? That's what they do when they know the resurrection. Steve, because faith comes from something else. Faith comes from God. Faith comes to the poor who are rich in God. And that's who Luke is telling over and over again in all of his stories. This is who Jesus is going to. The ones who will admit they're poor. The ones who will admit they're needy. And I'll make them rich in faith. I'll give them everything they need in God. And if they don't get their blessings and all they get in this life is licked by dogs for their sores, in heaven they'll have everything. They'll have me and I will repay everything, says the Lord. And unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We need repentance in our life and without it we will not see God. We will not see heaven. We'll be outcasts, lost in darkness. And Jesus is saying, repent. Repent or you will all likewise perish. All of you alike. Doesn't matter, rich or poor. You think, you know, I mean, there was poor people that were horrible too and needy. And there were rich that were mean and there were rich that were good. Because Job was rich. And he was rich towards God too. And that, that's, the, that's not the point. The point is, we got to repent. We got to repent and we got to admit we're one of the Anohim. We're poor little ones. And we'll remain faithful through thick and thin no matter what God gives us in this life. We will remain the poor, faithful ones. No matter what, 
And that's the only way you become the beloved physician that endures to the end. Or otherwise you'll be like Demas, and in your love of this world, you'll leave. You'll leave it all, because it'll always get hard. Always. I'm promising you this. It'll always get hard to follow Jesus. There will always come a fork in the road that you say, I will follow him or I won't. And you'll either repent and follow Jesus, or you'll go the same way of the Demas in this world. It's like Jesus said, you know, he sows the word, and that word grows up, and the sun, and first the bird comes and steals it, Satan comes and takes it right away. Oh, I tell you, nope. And then, you know, that seed, that word, that word of God starts growing, and the sun comes out, wilts, it doesn't have deep roots, doesn't have no water, doesn't have any depth. That's why he's writing Theophilus. So that you may be certain that you may have deep roots, Theophilus, that you may know why you believe. And we all want to just go along our merry way. Oh, I kind of know what I believe. And you will not, not in the day of temptation, not in the day of the devil's wiles and schemes. You won't. Without God's grace, we will not make it. We'll all go that way. And then there's this one. This is the Demas ones. They go along. They serve, they've plotted through, they haven't let Satan steal the word, they haven't let persecution serve the world, steal the word, but the world and the cares of it just slowly choke out the word. That's what happened with Demas. He hanging around a long time. It's mentioned all the way along. But Luke stuck it out to the end. And he bore fruit, and he's bearing fruit right now this morning because he recorded the gospel of Luke and all of Acts. And I'm born again because of it. I'm born again because of the people who endure to the end and weren't afraid to repent and say, I'm a poor one. I'm a poor one. I don't care what I have in this world. I'm a poor one. I'm needy. I'm a needy beggar in this life. And that's why Jesus is the doctor to the dead. He is the one who raises the dead. He's when all hope is past, not just barrenness of the womb, not just all the other things in life, but when dead is dead, like the widow from Nain, Luke tells this story. Here's a lady who's a widow. Her husband's already died. She's got her son who's inherited everything, who will take care of her in this life, but now he's dead, and she's walking with nothing but a dead son. She has no inheritance in that culture. She will not inherit from them. It'll go to the next male heir in the family, maybe distant, maybe she'll get something, maybe she won't. And Jesus walks up and touches that, that casket. And he comes with authority over death. He says, death is not the end for you poor little ones with nothing. You poor little ones that have suffered in this life. You poor little widows who've lost your husband and living without your husband all this time. You poor little widows who then put all your treasure and hope in a son and then your son. You think that's the end? You think that's I have good news for you. Rise up! And that dead boy got up. Because he has authority over death. He has authority to the poor ones that when you think all is lost and there is nothing but the dead person in the casket, he stops that parade. He raises on that parade and he stops it and he stops death in its tracks and he says, this is what I'm coming to do, you poor little ones. You follow me. You endure with through suffering and no matter what happens, even if you're the Lazaruses of this world, he's got a name. He's got a name with me. 
And he's somebody. He might have just got licked his sores. He didn't get his answers come through, but he's got somebody with me. He's got a name in heaven. He stored up treasures in heaven, not of this earth, and he's mine. And most people can't go for that because our flesh wants it now. And it wants it now. And it's always saying, what if it's not there? What if you're going through all this and it ain't there in the end? Well, you might as well give up. Come on, Demas. You might as well get the pleasures of this world now. And he left. And he forsaken. And that's what Demas is known for. What will you be known for? The beloved physician or another Demas? Because there's hundreds of thousands of them. Half-hearted people who claim to be Christians and who aren't. That's what brings them down. Not atheists. I'm not against atheists. I love that they hate me, and I love that they hate Jesus, and I love that they hate the gospel because they hate something, and they care about something, and they're not the problem. They'll always be 10 percenters or less, but they stand for something, and I can have a discussion with them because they care about something. You can't hate something that you don't think about at least, but we are full of half-hearted creatures seeking pleasures in sex and drunkenness and drugs and any other pleasure we can get. That's our problem, half-hearted creatures, C.S. Lewis said. But we're made for something else. We're made for something deeper, C.S. Lewis said. We're made for something this world cannot satisfy and no material possessions can satisfy. We're made for something deeper and more, and that more is Jesus, and it's only found in him and let me tell you a little bit about my jesus beloved physician luke says let me tell you theophilus make your faith certain and make it certain in this because here's my gospel and here's the eyewitnesses and here's the orderly account and he stops funerals in their track and he raises the dead that's the jesus that you can be certain in you can get what you get in this life and he can come through for you like he did to these poor little ones and sometimes he doesn't but he always comes through in the end because you live with him forever in eternal life and he restores every bit of it and more. Anything you gave up in this life, he restores and more. And that's the promise of the gospel of Luke. Victory over death. Jesus is claiming ultimate authority even over death itself. That death won't have the last word and it's not just in this life. But it is an eternal life because Jesus raised not just three people from the dead, little name, Lazarus, Jerry's his daughter. He raised himself from the dead. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, and the Father's given me authority to raise it up, and I raise it up. And he raised himself from the dead. I know the Father has a role in it. The Scripture says that too. But the Scripture also says Jesus had the power and authority not just to raise other dead, but to raise himself from the dead lay my life down and I raise it up again because the Father's given me authority to do so. And he didn't have to do no Elijah or Elisha raising from the dead, lay on him, you know, bring him, do all this. He just said, rise up, just like that. And they came up. Lazarus, come forth. That's it. He ordered things because he is the orderer. He is the sovereign king of the universe. And he's victorious over death and he proved it. And that was the sign he gave to all of them. A dead man is raised and my name is Jesus. And he presented himself to many 500 at one time, Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15. And those are the eyewitnesses. Those are the eyewitnesses. They said they saw it. Not a mass delusion. Not a mass hallucination. Not appearing to disciples here and there. Not a changing of their life. Not a building of the, the church, which Luke is going to show all through Acts. That happened because Jesus rose from the dead. 
that happened because disciples were changed because he stops funeral processions in their processions in their tracks and he says rise up and he calls all of us dead in our sins and transgressions and the word of the lord to the lost is today and to all of us today is the day of salvation today if you will hear his word today is the day of your salvation rise up dead man go and preach the gospel you're a a dead man risen from the dead going to preach to the dead who are dead in their sins and you stop them in their tracks and you say be born again rise up be who you were created to be who god made you to be and nothing less come out sinners this is the physician to the poor this is the savior of the sinner this is the doctor to the dead this is the jesus that luke presented to theophilus let us worship him amen and we celebrate communion the lord's table he invites us to a table where he offers you his body and his blood and he says remember my death till i come trade he took bread and he gave thanks to it he gave thanks to the father thank you lord for all your provisions thank you for giving us our daily bread thank you that most all of us here our bellies are full if there's not there's donuts and coffee out there thank you that you provide for us the bread of life in jesus and that it was his body you desired. He's the perfect fulfiller of the law and the perfect keeper of the law. And we could never be that. But we trust in him and his perfect pleasing of you in his body. The body that you gave him from the womb of Mary. A real man who was all God gave his body for us. And we remember him and we remember his death. covenant the new covenant the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins this is the great physician to the poor his blood this is what saves sinners admit you're a sinner come on tax collectors heathens lost in your sin admit it we all repent we will all likewise perish all of us we repent Lord and we admit that this blood of yours is the only thing that cleanses us from our sins and we partake it together in faith and saying thank you Jesus we remember your death let's partake together and from your hearts and spirit and in truth 
Let us worship this Jesus. This Jesus that the beloved physician Luke 